and welcome to another episode of From Paper to People. This is a family cookbook episode, and I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Nee Lachlan. This time, we are talking about my saucy grandma. And the funny part is, of course, she was totally not saucy. She was very not saucy. My grandma's birthday is today. It's the 25th of September. She would have been 114 today had she lived and I don't think she would have wanted to live that long. So I think it's probably best that she is on the other side and looking on and smiling as we talk about some of her sauce recipes. My grandmother was my mother's mother and my mother's parents met in Omaha, Nebraska after my grandmother had started college at Drake University. My grandfather was in medical school. They got engaged but they actually waited eight years an eight-year engagement I've never heard of anybody having an eight-year engagement if they were in the same town anyway I just not unless they were across continent or something from each other so they waited eight years to get married and they got married and moved to Minneapolis Minnesota and that is where my mother was born and that is where their adventures in the army started because my grandfather became an army surgeon. He was an officer. They traveled a lot. He pioneered some surgical techniques. And so he also got to travel for the strict purposes of teaching surgeons in other countries. And sometimes they would have surgeons from other countries come and visit and he would teach them where he was stationed. And because of that, my grandmother, born and raised in Omaha of a British and German family, who were in turn from Omaha and Iowa and before that, New York State. She learned how to sass up her table in order to make things more interesting. I think maybe partly for her guests, but I know that she borrowed from cuisines in order to just make things more interesting because she was tumbling from country to country and from station to station or state to state throughout my grandfather's career. My mother told me once that she did second grade in three different towns in Arkansas. I think that's what she said. Pretty crazy. So they were moving around a lot and my grandmother adopted new things as a form of adapting to that military culture that had so much going on in it. Even in the mid 20th century, when they were traveling during World War II and after World War II. So what I've got here are some recipes that I know that she created, things that she did not actually borrow from magazines. And what I've got in particular in hand right now, there are these plastic and vinyl books called The Recipe Collector, and they're three-ring binder books. They have plastic pages that have sleeves in them, and you can put recipe cards in the sleeves and you can put tabs on the pages to separate out the sections so that you know where all of your sauces are or all of your pickles and relish are. We're going to talk about some sauces and a chutney and these are things that absolutely must have differentiated her table from the tables of the girls that she was in the sorority with at Drake University or some of the other women even, she probably knew from her military circles. She was very curious about food, my, my grandparents both were. The other thing that we'll talk about in a separate episode is my grandmother's obsession with putting bread on the table, literal bread, bread, biscuits, 
rolls. That's a very Midwestern thing too. I think you always have to have a bread going on as well as everything else that's going on on your table. And uh, to the point that she had linens that provided a, a wrapper sort of napkin that had embroidered on it hot rolls. <laughs> and she'd put that in a basket and put rolls in it and then fold that over the rolls to keep them warm. Anyway, it's a whole culture, a whole food culture that I was never involved in because I grew up in a completely different place. But we're going to talk about some sauces and chutneys. So the first thing I have for you is a tomato wine sauce. And here's how it goes. Three tomatoes, one half small onion, one bay leaf, and a half a cup of white wine. It says cook 20 minutes and then blend and sieve. So you want that to be smooth a tablespoon of butter, a tablespoon of flour, a cup of tomato juice from above. So the, the, a cup of the tomato juices that you just made from the blending and sieving of the tomato, onion, bay leaf, and white wine. A teaspoon of sugar, a quarter of a teaspoon of rosemary or basil or oregano, depending on what you like, and a half a teaspoon of tomato paste, which it says here is optional, but It'd give you some body, so why not? Then it says, melt butter, add flour, add tomato juice, starting with a whisk until thickened. Add herbs and simmer sauce, five minutes. Adjust seasoning with salt and pepper. Fairly straightforward stuff. And I guess you could use that on anything. I mean, she wasn't doing a lot of Italian cooking at the time that she wrote this. I can tell from the handwriting because this is her younger handwriting. Now we have curry sauce, which makes six cups of curry sauce. Now, right up front, if you know your curry sauce really well, if you're British, if you're uh, Indian, if you come from the Indian subcontinent, don't at me about this, okay? I am not claiming that this is the most authentic curry sauce or the most authentic chutney. What I am saying is that a woman who cooked in the Midwest and in the American military in the 20th century, put this on her table, okay? Okay, curry sauce. Two cups of chopped onion, two cloves of garlic, minced, three tablespoons of oil, two tablespoons of curry powder, two teaspoons of allspice, two teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon of ground coriander, two jars that are eight ounces each, of junior prunes? I don't think it's junior, but I can't really quite tell what it is. So we're gonna have to see about that. And two jars of, it looks like junior apples and apricots. Maybe that means baby food. Seriously, this could, she could be putting baby food in her curry sauce. I don't even know. A cup and a half of water, a quarter cup of lemon juice, and a half cup of chopped chutney and the chutney recipe I will give you in a minute. Sauteed onions and garlic in oil. Stir in curry, allspice, salt, and coriander. Cook two minutes. Stir in fruit, water, and lemon juice. Simmer uncovered 30 minutes and stir often. Then you add the chutney. Okay, now the chutney is her own recipe because normally she writes up in the corner on these cards like Cuisine Magazine uh, 1082 or you know whatever date it is that the issue was. Well, here it says chutney 
LHB, and those are her initials. So her version of chutney is four cups of chopped onions, 14 cups of chopped pears, three packages of raisins. You could go golden, I suppose. You could go like regular purple grape raisins, three teaspoons ground allspice, eight hot peppers chopped fine, and I say go for it, do whatever you want to with your hot peppers, 10 cups of sugar, three quarters of a teaspoon of minced garlic, four cups of vinegar, and one cup of finely chopped ginger. I have no idea what kind of vinegar you would use with that, and I also don't know how you put this together, uh, how long you let it sit or what, because instead of there being sort of directions about how to do this, on the back there's simply a pen squiggle where I could tell that she was testing the pen to make sure it wrote before she wrote the recipe on the front. Uh, a lot of times that's what she did, I guess, that she cooked so often that she didn't feel the need to write the process down, and this is what women who lived in the kitchen did, of course. They made their dishes so often that it was only a question of changing up exactly what it was that went in it. And finally, we're going to get into something that you can make any time of year, and that's pesto. <laughs> she had one, two, three, four, five recipes of pesto on one card. They're written very, very tiny, and so I have to read them, and I might be herky-jerky in my reading style because they're really kind of hard to read. Uh, the reason I include pesto is because I said that I would have recipes that you could make either in the Northern Hemisphere or in the Southern Hemisphere on the same day because we're having absolutely opposite weather at all times. And it seems to me that there's no bad time for pasta. And pesto is the main thing that I like to eat on pasta. Here are five different kinds of pesto that my grandmother figured out. The first one is your basic basil pesto, which is two cups of basil, two garlic cloves, one half cup of pine nuts, three quarters of a cup of Parmigiano Reggiano, and two thirds of a cup of olive oil. Very simple. Toss it all in the food processor and there you go. And that's the whole thing with this is toss it in the food processor, zap it, Bob's your uncle, you're done. Now we have a tarragon pesto, which is a cup of tarragon, two garlic cloves, one half teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of green peppercorns, one half cup of breadcrumbs, one tablespoon of lemon juice, one cup of walnuts, a half a cup of olive oil, and then it says a quarter of a cup of water with a question mark after it, which I think means that you have that reserved and if you need it to adjust the texture of the pesto, use it. So, okay. Now there's another called piston which is two cups of basil, a half a cup of parsley. I would use Italian parsley, obviously, not the curly stuff. Four garlic cloves, three quarters of a cup of Parmigiano Reggiano, half a cup of olive oil, and then salt and pepper to taste. The fourth one is walnut pesto, which says a cup of oregano or marjoram, hmm, a cup of walnuts, a half a cup of Parmigiano Reggiano, six tablespoons of water, six tablespoons of, now see, right now, this looks like it says Whippo. <laughs> it looks like it says W-H-I-P-O. 
But I don't think that that's what it is. The problem is that I don't know what it is. I think maybe it's six tablespoons of white wine. Again, not sure about that. And then there's a half a cup of olive oil. So mm, I'll leave that one to you. And the last one is parsley anchovy pesto spread, which sounds like it would be a really good bruschetta or bread spread. And that is six ounces of anchovy fillets or fillets, depending on how you look at the thing, two garlic cloves, one quarter of a cup of Italian parsley, two tablespoons of red wine vinegar, two teaspoons of fresh thyme or a half a teaspoon of dried thyme, two egg yolks, pepper, a cup of breadcrumbs, and a half a cup of olive oil. So there you go. You have all of my grandmother's pestos. You have some chutney. You have some tomato sauce. And you have a curry. That is how my grandmother, the solidly Midwestern girl, ended up sassing up her table and becoming a saucy grandma just by taking some adventures in the land of cooking. Upcoming, I'm going to be doing a kind of a special recording. So I want you to tell me, I need some feedback from you. Did this mic make a difference in your listening experience as opposed to the last episode? This is a special different headset and mic that I'm using for the first time. And I'm going to be doing a face-to-face -face interview with my dad. I'm going to be taking some folklore about life during the Great Depression in West Texas, which I think will be very interesting to a lot of you. And I think that as much as the content will be interesting, also what I'm going to try to show you is how it is that you ask open-ended questions and take questions and answers from the person you're interviewing and build on what they're saying in order to get them into a real dialogue and eventually a real monologue so that they're telling you everything that they can about what they remember at that particular moment. So since we're going to be face-to-face, -face, and I've never done face-to-face -face before, I've always used my big mic and headphones, and I've had the internet between me and somebody I was interviewing, I need to know about how you feel about the sound quality on this headset, because it looks like we're going to be using both of them at the same time, facing one another, possibly with a piece of cardboard between us to muffle the sound. <laughs> I don't want too much sound bleed. Special for Patreon patrons, those 22 of you who are supporting me out of the over a thousand listeners that I know I have worldwide, I will be live casting at least some of it, perhaps just the preparation, depending on how things go, but I will be live casting some of it on YouTube and you will be able to watch that later because you will receive the link in your email. If you don't support me on Patreon, please consider supporting me on Patreon. I have a thousand listeners. If a thousand listeners each gave one dollar, you would be making an enormous difference in the quality of my life and in the quality of what it is that I can do with this podcast. Right now, I'm paying for the website. I'm paying for the hosting. I'm paying for the newsletter that I put out daily on Paperly. I'm paying for all of the marketing and all of the... I've just gotten myself up on Thumbtack, which is an application, and it's a pay-per-lead. And those are for lessons, 
and I hope that that will bring some income. But ultimately, remember what it is that I do. I do free research for all descended of enslaved persons. I don't get paid for any of my genealogical research, and I am working on someone's tree other than my own every single day of the week. Seven days a week, I'm doing free work. Go to patreon.com slash ancestors alive sign up for any of the support levels there between one dollar and fifty dollars per month there are treats that you can get as well because we've got some really fun little incentives there periodically i run some kind of a contest or something like that i'm going to be getting into one of those soon but the most important thing is i need your support so please consider that and also you can participate in the halloween episode of from paper to people we're going to have a skelly rally episode and that means all you have to do is this leave me what is essentially a voicemail message by recording it on your phone sending me the mp3 with skelly rally and your name as you want it used on the podcast in the subject line of your email send that to ancestors alive genealogy at gmail.com i'll be editing all of those together The deadline for those submissions is October 26th of 2019, but the sooner you get them in, the sooner I can start editing because I want to make my deadline. It's hard for me to make deadlines these days, and I want to make my deadline, and I want to give you the best possible episode that I can. So thanks again very much for listening. Remember the ways that you can participate. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. And above all, expect surprises. (laughs) 